0: The Braille Forum, Volume 50, February 2012, Number 6 Published by the American Council of the Blind Read by Mark Delgado in the studios of the Cutting Corporation, Bethesda, Maryland The American Council of the Blind strives to increase the independence, security, equality of opportunity, and to improve quality of life for all blind and visually impaired people. Mitch Pomerantz, President Melanie Brunson, Executive Director Sharon Lovering, Editor National Office 2200 Wilson Boulevard, Suite 650, Arlington, Virginia 22201 202-467-5081 Fax 703-465-5085 Website HTTP colon slash slash www.acb.org. The Braille Forum, trademark, is available in Braille, large print, half-speed four-track cassette tape, data CD, and via email. Subscription requests, address changes, and items intended for publication should be sent to Sharon Lovering at the address above, or via email to slovering at acb.org. The American Council of the Blind, trademark, is a membership organization made up of more than 70 state and special interest affiliates. To join, contact the National Office at the number listed above. Those much-needed contributions, which are tax-deductible, can be sent to Attention Treasurer, ACB, 6300 Shingle Creek Parkway, Suite 195, Brooklyn Center, Minnesota 55430. If you wish to remember a relative or friend, the National Office has printed cards available for this purpose. Consider including a gift to ACB in your last will and testament. If your wishes are complex, call the National Office. To make a contribution to ACB via the Combined Federal Campaign, use this number, 11155. For the latest in legislative and governmental news, call the Washington Connection toll-free at 800 424 8666, 5 p.m. to midnight Eastern Time, or read it online. Copyright 2012, American Council of the Blind All content made available in publications, in any media, on any website domains administered by ACB, or as a broadcast or podcast on ACB radio, archived or not, is considered to be the property of the American Council of the Blind. Those responsible for creative content may allow their materials to appear elsewhere with prior notification to the ACB National Office and with appropriate attribution. Table of Contents President's Message Knowledge Versus Assumptions By Mitch Pomerantz Side 1 A Brief Retrospective on 2011 By Melanie Brunson Side 1 Convention Quick Reference by Janet Dickelman Side 1 Support the Forum, Get the Chance to Win a Sweet Prize By Billy Jean Keith Side 1 Issues in Education of Blind and Low Vision Students An Update By Bashir Masoudi Side 1 Losing Your Independence By Donna Brown Side 1 How Do You See Me? Understanding Another Point of View By Patty Arnold Side 2 How Do I Match My Clothes By Barbara Matson. Side 2 The Great Surpasser A Review of Surpassing Expectations My Life Without Sight By Lawrence Scadden. By Ken Stewart Side 2 Affiliate News Side 2 Passings Side 2 Letter to the Editor Side 2 Here and There Edited by Sue Lichtenfels Side 3 High-Tech Swap Shop Side 3 Forum Subscription Notes You can now get the Braille Forum by podcast. To subscribe, go to the Braille Forum page on www.acb.org. If you do not yet have a podcast client, you can download one from the forum page. To subscribe to the Braille Forum via email, go to www.acb.org slash mailman slash listinfo slash brailleforum hyphen l Are you moving? Do you want to change your subscription? Contact Sharon Lovering in the ACB National Office 1-800-424-8666 or via email slovering at acb.org Give her the information, and she'll take care of the changes for you. President's Message Knowledge vs. Assumptions By Mitch Pomerantz I've made no secret of the fact that prior to joining the American Council of the Blind in 1984, I was a member for a few years of the NFB. Not surprisingly, my knowledge of ACB during those years amounted to what I was told— that the council was a coffee and cake organization whose few members didn't do anything much except to support custodial rehabilitation programs and outmoded notions about blindness and blind people. After a resolution I brought to the NFB of California convention in 1972 received what I considered to be extremely short shrift, I ventured to the convention of the Associated Blind of California, as it was then known, later that year. I was greeted warmly and treated well by the attendees. But by that time, I was sufficiently indoctrinated to feel very uncomfortable and disloyal to the Federation for having checked out the other side. So the wayward child returned to the fold. My other early personal experience with ACB involved meeting and interviewing George Fogarty, a longtime leader of the council here in California. George was a guest on a disability-oriented radio show I produced during the mid-'70s on a non-commercial FM station. Fogarty was charming and witty and left me that evening with an observation which I've never forgotten. As we walked out of the studio, he commented that while ACB was slower in taking positions on issues, it usually got to those same positions in time. In hindsight, that was probably my first positive, concrete lesson in the differences between the two organizations. As I've since learned in over 25 years in ACB, decision-making through the democratic process is typically slower than decision-making as practiced by a single leader or group of leaders. I was reminded of all this in early October during a brief exchange of emails initiated by the NFB President, Mark Maurer. Before proceeding further, some background is in order. Newsline is a service managed, in most if not all states, by the Federation. An ACB state affiliate prevailed upon the governor to veto a bill which would have provided public funding for that state's Newsline program. I'm not mentioning the affiliate by name because I didn't ask permission to do so and because the state itself isn't the issue at hand. The reason our affiliate objected had nothing to do with the fact that Newsline is run by the NFB, but as the result of a clear lack of transparency by Newsline officials who refused to answer specific questions about how those public funds would be expended. Additionally, although the organizations comprising the North American Caribbean region of the World Blind Union, including ACB and NFB, had at some time in the past discussed developing a policy whereby one member organization would be bound not to interfere with the fundraising efforts of another member organization, the policy was never drafted and hence did not exist. In response to an email from the NFB president complaining that our state affiliate had sabotaged public funding for Newsline only because of its NFB connection, I decided to educate, or remind him, that ACB affiliates have autonomy in establishing and implementing policies and programs within their states. While I was fairly certain that Maurer was aware of the differences between how NFB and ACB affiliates relate to their respective parent organizations, I chose not to make assumptions on that score." There was much more, including Maurer informing me, presumably based on my explanation, that I did not represent and could not speak for the members of the ACB affiliate in question and, by extension, the entire ACB membership. He believed that our affiliate had violated the non-existent policy and that I'd done nothing to stop it. My conclusion following our exchange is that the NFB president was angry about the success of our affiliate's advocacy efforts and displeased over my apparent failure to act. Maurer erroneously assumed not only that a policy was in place which would shield the Federation from legitimate challenges to its fundraising activities, but also that I could or would take action against one of our affiliates. Implicit in this correspondence is the notion that if I truly was the ACB President, I should have been able to keep our affiliate in line. In four and a half years as ACB President, my relations overall with the President of the National Federation of the Blind have been professional and businesslike. My reason for mentioning this incident is not to begin a war of words between myself and Mark Maurer in the pages of our respective publications, although some response will likely be forthcoming. The point, even if Maurer knew his assumptions were invalid, as is entirely possible, is to illustrate that without direct and personal knowledge of the workings of our organization, along with some understanding of why ACB is structured as it is, it's very easy to make incorrect assumptions. Prior to becoming a member of the American Council of the Blind, I had no direct knowledge of how the organization functioned and certainly no real understanding of why ACB was established as it was. I am truly thankful I was given the opportunity to obtain that knowledge and understanding. On a personal note, as a follow-up to last month's column, I wanted everyone to know that my health continues to improve and no surgery is currently scheduled. Donna and I are still going to Spain in late April, along with a number of folks from ACB in partnership with the Rhodes Scholar Organization. Perhaps I'll write about the trip on our return. A Brief Retrospective on 2011 By Melanie Brunson By the time you read this, we will be several weeks into a new year. I hope the year has gotten off to a positive start for all of you and that it will continue to bring you increased opportunities, good fellowship, good fellowship, and happiness. Before we send off the old year completely, I thought it would be fun to look back on ACB's accomplishments in 2011. The year before that was somewhat of a banner year for us, with two major pieces of legislation we had supported being signed into law, as well as a number of structured negotiation settlements. This past year may seem less productive, but that is largely because many of the things we achieved were in the regulatory rather than the legislative arena and as a result did not gain the same amount of public notice that legislative victories often do. However, regulations are where decisions are made about how the legislation will be implemented and enforced, so they are important to the process of determining over the long haul how much of a victory the original legislation really was. This past year, there were a number of opportunities to influence the nature of regulations that will be implemented in a number of policy areas, and ACB has taken advantage of those opportunities. I am pleased to report that a significant number of our members, as well as our staff, have assisted with this effort. In January 2011, several ACB members were appointed to the Advisory Committee, convened by the Federal Communications Commission, to make recommendations regarding how to implement portions of the Communications and Video Accessibility Act, which was one of our bills signed into law in 2010, that deal with, among other things, audio-described programming on TV. These recommendations will be critical to the development of the FCC's ultimate positions and the implementing rules that result. Our members are still fully engaged in the work of their respective work groups, and the Advisory Committee will reap the benefit of their work as it issues its report later this year. In addition, there have been several opportunities for public comment to the U.S. Department of Transportation, DOT, on issues of concern to people who have visual impairments. ACB, its members, and its affiliates have all responded in significant numbers. ACB and GDUI supported efforts by the U.S. Department of Transportation to make sure that airports provide places inside secure areas where people who travel with guide dogs can take them to relieve themselves in between flights. Access to safe dog relief areas that can be used without having to leave secured areas and be rescreened in order to reenter the airport terminal and get to a flight has been a major challenge for people who travel with guide dogs and other service dogs for years. We were pleased that the DOT proposed rules aimed at solving this problem and encouraged them to move ahead with their proposed rule. We also submitted comments to the U.S. Access Board that covered a variety of issues related to making streets and walkways more accessible to pedestrians including those with visual impairments. In these comments, we reiterated the need for more accessible pedestrian signals at intersections and supported the need to use them at entrances to roundabouts. Many of the other issues addressed in the Pedestrian Safety Handbook we talked about last month were also covered in these comments. Space does not permit me to give you a complete list of all the proposed regulatory changes that ACB, its members, and affiliates have commented on over the course of the year but I can say that our input has been noticed by government staffers. As a result, we are being specifically invited to provide further comment on some of the issues we addressed in comments. It is our expectation that these efforts will bear fruit in the months ahead. Thanks to all of you who have helped us spread the word about how to increase the independence, security, equality of opportunity, and quality of life for all people who are blind and visually impaired. Convention Quick Reference by Janet Dickelman Have you been thinking about attending the 51st ACB Conference and Convention in Louisville? Here is all the information you'll need in a handy format. Dates: Pre-registration pickup: Thursday, July 5th. First tours: Friday, July 6th. Opening general session: Sunday, July 8th. Banquet: Friday, July 13th. Final tours: saturday july 14th hotel reservations the galt house phone one eight hundred eight four three four two five eight online https colon slash slash r e s w e b dot p a s s k e y dot com slash g o slash a c b 10712 Make sure to mention that you are with the ACB convention. Transportation. Sand Dollar Shuttle. $20 round trip from airport to hotel. Phone 502-561-4022. Online www.sandollarlimo.com. Hotel Information The Galt House features a variety of shops, restaurants, a spa and salon, a fitness center, and more. Restaurants and Lounges Voted one of Louisville's best restaurants, Review, our rooftop restaurant, features expansive views of downtown and the waterfront. Cafe Magnolia is the perfect place to dine casually and enjoy breakfast, lunch, or dinner while savoring delectable eats. A-1-J's at the Conservatory is in the center of it all and voted best place to sit and drink. Grab a bite or beverage at the 30-foot Aquarium Bar, offering sweeping views of downtown and the waterfront. Jockey Silk's Bourbon Bar and Lounge offers a place to relax and unwind while choosing from over 150 Kentucky bourbons. Thelma's at the Conservatory is a 24-hour deli for that caffeine fix whenever the desire hits. Select from the wide assortment of deli sandwiches, salads, specialty drinks, and more. Jeff Ruby's Steakhouse is a New York-style steakhouse specializing in steak, seafood, and sushi and featuring a dynamic atmosphere with live entertainment. The hotel features a rooftop outdoor pool featuring the Waterside Cafe for a cool drink or a snack. Exhale Spa and Salon Transcending the traditional salon and spa experience, Our philosophy at Exhale is to provide exceptional customer service that starts with understanding the importance of listening to our clients and providing services that are exclusive for each individual's needs and deliver the results they desire, whatever they may be. A relaxing spa treatment, enhancing your image, or a quick trim. In our welcoming atmosphere of the ultra-chic salon and spa, Exhale believes that the ultimate salon spa experience is ensuring that our clients feel relaxed, comfortable, and satisfied. The salon is open Monday through Saturday, 9 a.m. until at least 6 p.m. Club 360 Fitness Center. The state of the art fitness center features high tech, low impact cardiovascular equipment, with each machine offering an individual LCD TV. There is also a large selection of free weights. The daily charge for Club 360 is only $5. The weekly charge, $10. Boutique shops. The hotel features six boutique shops located on the third floor of the review tower, featuring everything from candy, jewelry, women's clothing, art, and souvenirs. We should have the tour schedule completed by the next issue of the forum. Feel free to contact me with any questions. Email janet.com. D-I-C-K-E-L-M-A-N at gmail.com or phone 651-428-5059. Support the forum. Get the chance to win a sweet prize. As an ACB member for more than 22 years, I've been fortunate to attend every ACB National Convention except one, and that was because I was getting married to the man I met at an ACB National Convention. For all those years, I've always considered the Braille Forum to be our window on the world. Please consider supporting the Forum by purchasing a raffle ticket. Tickets are $50 each, and up to five people can buy one ticket and share the price, and if it wins, share the prize. First prize is five thousand dollars Second prize is $1,000, and third prize is $500. The drawing will be held at the convention banquet in Louisville, Kentucky. You do not have to be present to win. Tickets are now available. Don't wait. Pick up the phone today and call the ACB Minnesota office at 1 800 866 3242 or 612 332 3242 and put your Braille form ticket on your credit card. Billy Jean Keith Issues in Education of Blind and Low Vision Students An Update by Bashir Masoudi. There has been a great response to my article, Issues in Education of Blind and Low-Vision Students, September 2011. We have answered most of the individual comments and communications directly. However, there were many questions and comments that need a longer response. Even though 10-20% to 20% of all school-age visually impaired pupils are educated in residential settings, this option is vital. Historically, almost all blind students were educated in this setting. Placement in a residential school for the blind has a highly beneficial effect on many students' growth and achievement. We should not lose this educational option for blind and low-vision students who need it because of family situation, lack of local resources, or because of individual, academic, intellectual, vocational, or career needs. Yes, it is true that the cost of educating students in a residential setting is five to seven times higher than if the same student attends a neighborhood public or charter school. Some states, especially in New England and the Rocky Mountain region, have arrangements with nearby states that operate residential schools on a tuition basis. As for low student scores on statewide or federal achievement or assessment tests, most special education students do not do well on them. Blind and visually impaired student scores on such tests are usually higher than those of students in other disability categories. Residential schools are in the best position to adopt creative curricula, including many of the ideas from the Knowledge is Power Program, KIPP, and other high-achieving charter school programs, a longer instructional day and year, and take other steps that will enhance student performance. The very recent steps by Congress and the President to amend No Child Left Behind will eliminate the requirement of adequate yearly progress, AYP, federal requirements for teachers and principal assessments and highly qualified teacher categories and other cumbersome rules and regulations there will be more concentration on the 5 to 10 percent of schools that are the lowest achieving, and more charter schools and tracking systems. This should take some of the pressure off the traditional schools. In traditional public schools, the itinerant consultant model is the only service delivery method in most cases. Today, 80 to 90 percent of all school-age blind and visually impaired students attend traditional public or other day schools. This model is promoted by the public school authorities – university programs preparing teachers, and some professional organizations, including the Association for Education in Rehabilitation of the Blind and Visually Impaired, AERBVI, which even has a division for itinerant services. This model discriminates against blind and visually impaired individuals who wish to enter the teaching field. Many teachers spend more time on the road traveling from school to school than providing direct instruction to the learners. Often they are not in the building when they are needed. Some public schools do provide paraprofessional or personal aids for students with very low or no vision. Often these personal aids become the sole experts on educating blind children, even though most of them are very limited in knowledge or training in the field, when a trained teacher or professional is not available on the spot most of the time. As in the case of states participating to provide education in residential settings in the traditional public and day schools, Various districts and entities could have agreements with each other to provide educational and related special education services under more than just the itinerant delivery model. They could have resource, part-time, full-time, and several other delivery models to address the individual needs of each student and their families. Losing Your Independence by Donna Brown The first questions for anyone that has had a disability would be, How or can I be independent and take care of myself alone? And, How can I prevent illness or accident? When a child with a disability has someone they can depend on, until becoming adults, then it depends on how much they wish to be independent as they grow. One day, the question will arise as to whether a child or even a parent or parents who may have a visual or physical disability may need to be placed in assisted living or a school for the blind. We know what to do for anyone who gets Alzheimer's. Could it be the same for the blind? End of Side 1 Side 2 The Braille Forum Volume 50 February 2012 Number 6 This side contains How Do You See Me? Understanding Another Point of View By Patty Arnold How Do I Match My Clothes? By Barbara Matson. The Great Surpasser A Review of Surpassing Expectations, My Life Without Sight by Lawrence Scadden, by Ken Stewart Affiliate News Passings Letter to the Editor Continuing with Losing Your Independence by Donna Brown A person of any age who develops a fatal disease may linger for years in pain, but the blind are blind forever. There are people that live a good and comfortable life with a disability, even though there may be some humiliation, along with embarrassment and frustration. If there were a choice, I would imagine that most people would choose suffering with humiliation over suffering with pain. Then the questions begin, Why me? And Why can't God stop the suffering? Or Why did I have to go blind? Those are normal questions. Activities, along with new medicines, help to give us longer lives, but some medicines may cause loss of independence and are really no help to return sight. We may have to watch the deterioration of a loved one who is blind and will have to face that there is no cure at this time. For the most part, people are able to be independent longer and expand their lifestyles when knowing the truth. And people should be given the truth. The field of disability medical research has grown tremendously in the last decade, and there are advances happening all the time. When we are able to be independent longer and expand our lifestyle, or change and make a new or different life for ourselves before our time is up on this earth, we must live as well as we can with good health and trust in the hearts of others. It doesn't take the knowing of an ongoing disability to break a heart. It is the unhappiness in how you are living. So to live a full life, plan and make that change. If you have someone to care for, love can be strong enough to withstand almost anything and the heart will keep beating through many crises and will take much pain until it is broken. Being independent does not mean trying to change others to your liking. It means a person should have the right to have a quality in their life with good health and love in the heart. A totally blind person learns somewhat differently to cope with everyday happenings and other people and their reactions to the loss of sight. It is keeping one's self-respect and courage and the understanding of how a blind person manages. When you lose one of your senses... A person of blindness becomes more totally sensitive in most cases. That is why love is the answer. To give strength to carry on with the burdens of life. How Do You See Me? Understanding Another Point of View By Patty Arnold Editor's Note Patty Arnold is a Certified Vision Rehabilitation Therapist, CVRT, and Certified Low Vision Therapist, CLVT, at the Arizona Center for the Blind and Visually Impaired. She has been a professional in the field of blindness and visual impairment since 1984. Author's note. I've geared what follows to be shared with family and friends of a person with a vision impairment, or as a thought provoker to others. The quotes are based on real conversations with my students. End of notes. Some of my friends came around for a while, but now are avoiding me. I think they are uncomfortable because of my vision impairment. My friend and I used to go out to eat once a month, but since my vision loss, they call and ask what they can do, but never want to come over or go out to eat. My husband wants to do everything for me. He's afraid I'll hurt myself and says I'm too slow. It doesn't seem to matter to him that I'm learning how to adapt and can do a lot for myself. As a professional in the field of rehabilitation for people who are blind or visually impaired, Students sometimes tell me about things that bother them. Mostly, they are not looking for pity, but just want to continue to have a fulfilling life, not letting their vision impairment stop them. Imagine a friend of yours has become blind, with just enough vision to see light and some general shapes. You tell her to let you know if she needs any assistance, and she takes you up on your offer a couple times. Then your friend offers to do something for you, but your first reaction is to think, ''Oh, my poor friend is blind.'' and I should do for her. She needs all the help she can get. Yet something tells you to accept the invitation, like you've done before, and when the time comes, you find you enjoy the gift your friend offers. In Seize the Day, Cox and Hoover say, Giving and receiving go hand in hand. While it's true that our motivation for giving should not be to create indebtedness in others, someone who gives all and accepts nothing in return is fulfilling some sacrificial need in his or her personal agenda. One student shared this story. "'I told my friends that I'm having vision problems and that I'm learning Braille and using talking books for my reading. Yesterday there was something shiny on the floor, and when the light hit it just right, I was able to tell that there was something there. I didn't know what it was exactly, but I saw it. Now my friend thinks I'm faking and has told everyone else that. I tried to explain that when the light hits something shiny, it becomes more visible.' and how if there's a lot of contrast, like something black on a white table, I can see that better than something white on a white table. He still seems to think vision problems are an all-or-none sort of thing. He doesn't seem to understand because he doesn't see the way I do. That last statement is particularly revealing. And while there's value in the statement in a literal sense, I think the concept also applies to situations not related to vision loss. If I were at a crowded conference and lightly bumped someone and they yelled, ''Don't touch me,'' I might think, ''Why do they come to a crowded place if it bothers them to be touched?'' But would I think differently if I found out they loved being around people but had recently developed a condition where even a light touch could cause pain and discomfort? Probably. How often do we focus on our own viewpoint and forget that there are other ways of seeing an event or person? Might a shift in thinking change what we believe— to the advantage of ourselves and others. Maybe there's more to the situation than what seems obvious, and maybe someday you or I will be in a similar situation and need respect and understanding, not pity. So in summary, here's the vision and creed I will do my best to live by. I will Give as well as receive Be open to perceiving unfamiliar ideas in a different way, through another's eyes. Accept others' as I would like them to accept me. Try not to judge people too quickly or harshly. Do what I can to make some small difference in my little corner of the world. Remember, there are many ways a person can make a positive contribution. And I will remember there is greater purpose to life than my own problems. Call it a higher power, or karma, or common sense. Whenever I can, I will connect to that purpose. I may still have to work through some challenges, but if I am just willing to make the effort, I will be more fulfilled than if I only perceive things through my limited past experiences. If you would like specific ideas on how to interact with a blind or visually impaired person, do a search on the Internet for how to interact with a blind person, or in the case of a person who also is deaf or has a hearing impairment, search for how to interact with a deaf-blind person. Everyone is a person first, with their own preferences, So a general rule is, if you think the person might need assistance, ask first. Footnote 1. Danny Cox and John Hoover Seize the Day, Seven Steps to Achieving the Extraordinary in an Ordinary World New Jersey, Career Press, 2002 How Do I Match My Clothes? by Barbara Mattson Most of the time I've added to my wardrobe gradually, so I've had no problem remembering what color a given style of pants or top is. My clothes have also been few enough that I've worn each often enough to keep their colors in my mind. I have also depended on my limited vision to reinforce my memory. As I've aged, my vision has become less reliable. So not long ago, after buying some dressy outfits, I ordered some metal braille color tags. I certainly didn't want to be mismatched wearing my new outfits but the tags sat unopened because the thought of having to sew them in overwhelmed me. Two months later, disaster struck. I was at a friend's funeral when I looked over at my sister and then back to me, and I wanted to get up and run out of the church. I realized the black pants I was wearing had suddenly turned to Christmas green. I realized this when I remembered what hanger I'd gotten them from, and the top that was on it. This was one of the new outfits I'd bought. Later, I mentioned my faux pas to my family, and my sister said she'd wondered if I'd meant to wear the pants. However, someone else said that someone had worn red and that funeral attire was more relaxed now. Having grown up with a mother who always wanted me to look especially nice for church, coupled with regretting that I hadn't worn the intended pants, renewed my motivation to begin color tagging my clothes. The following week, color tagging flew to the top of my list when I inherited quite a few clothes and shoes from the deceased friend. If it hadn't been toward the end of the month and the family hadn't wanted to get my friend's assisted living apartment cleared out, her clothes would have come in slower increments. Now it wasn't just sewing in a few tags. It was suddenly sewing in what seemed like dozens. But then I had a brainstorm. With my mother telling me the color of each new pair of pants and top, I used a small safety pin to attach the appropriate color tag to the tag of the clothing. Besides eliminating the sewing, the tag can now easily be detached when the clothing wears out but tagging only my new clothes didn't solve my problems. Less than a month later, Mom and I stopped by my church to have my picture taken for the church directory. I changed into one of my friend's nice tops, a mauve pink, and a gray-blue suit coat for the headshot. Afterward, Mom and I were headed to do some shopping when she asked if I wanted to change clothes again. I told her I wanted to keep what I had on, since my white blouse and yellow and red sweater were damp from being in the rain. We were in the car when Mom asked... Do you know what color pants you have on? Oops. The blue pants I thought I'd been wearing suddenly looked purple. It was definitely time to work on my old clothes, too. Then there was the puzzle of my friend's shoes. Again, if my shoes are different styles, I can usually keep their colors straight. But this friend had at least four pairs of dressy shoes in the same style. So I needed a system for knowing what pair would go with various outfits, and to make sure I wore two shoes the same color color-tagging each shoe wasn't practical. Meanwhile, there was one pair of canvas shoes that I pinned a color-tag to temporarily. They are navy, and I wasn't sure I'd remember they weren't black. The solution for the other shoes finally came to me, probably at three o'clock in the morning. Now, on each hanger of clothing, I hang a matching pair of shoes dangling in a plastic grocery bag. It makes the clothes take up more room, but it beats hanging them on a shoe rack. At my friend's funeral... Her son said she loved to help people. Little did she know that besides continuing to pass clothes to me, she also pushed me to color tag my clothes. The Great Surpasser A Review of Surpassing Expectations My Life Without Sight by Lawrence Scadden By Ken Stewart It is not surprising that I and my occur very frequently in an autobiography and not surprising that the references are predominantly favorable. It is quite apparent from the publisher's notes about the author, though, that Lawrence Skadden is by no means the only one who thinks highly of Lawrence Skadden. He has been the recipient of many highly prestigious awards, including the American Foundation for the Blind's Meigel Award, and there is ample praise offered for other people in his life, too. Although, in his preface, Skadden expresses reluctance to create an autobiography. He writes... My goal in writing is to inform, entertain, and, hopefully for some, inspire. For me, being entertained was ample payoff for listening to Bill Wallace masterfully narrate these 368 pages for the National Library Service. For someone newly struggling with the practical frustrations of blindness, there certainly should be potential for inspiration in these pages. And for the sighted reader, the objective of informing should be well served. My entertainment flowed from his personal experience, such as being served a meal on board an airliner. The flight attendant asked, as she placed the plate in front of him, "'Do you know how a plate is arranged by the clock?' He smiled and said that he did, and awaited her description of food locations on his plate. She responded, "'Good,' and moved on. It was quite easy to identify with many of his travel experiences— such as smacking his head against the side-view mirror on a large truck parked alongside the sidewalk as he navigated with his long white cane. Then there are his musings about how a brain which has seen better times visualizes recollections of past experiences. I have often contemplated the degree of visual acuity I seem to have in my dreams, doubtless drawing on residue from back when I could see better. The author, a research psychologist with a doctorate, discusses extensively and fascinatingly about cognitive issues including synesthesia, a brain's associating particular numerals or words with particular colors. He cites the work of celebrated scientist-author Oliver Sacks. Again, I am reminded of my own mental operations, like including a vivid notion of compass direction in memories of long-ago events. Another segment of the text called to mind an attorney representing a parent opposing a school district in a hearing over which I was presiding as impartial hearing officer. That attorney asked me to recuse myself because my vision impairment would prevent me from judging the visual indications of a witness's truthfulness. My denial of the attorney's motion was based on a self-confident attitude, although not quite as cocky as Scadden's assertion, I know I can read other people's voices better than anyone I know. Scadden started his education at the School for the Blind in Los Angeles, where he learned Braille, but spent most of his school years in mainstream classrooms where he frequently reminded the teacher to verbalize what she was writing on the chalkboard. He was more assertive than I was. Through twelve years of public school education, I never once saw what was being written on the chalkboard from my front-row seat, but settled for sometimes walking up to look closely at the chalkboard after class. Scadden's bicycle riding reminds me of riding my bike by following close behind the bike of a friend or family member. He comments on the echolocation used by all of us who move about depending at least partially on subtle sound clues. His description of utilizing what he heard of its bouncing and striking the blackboard while playing with a basketball triggered some of my own basketball memories. Just recently I had a chance meeting with a fellow who was among those I played small-scale half-court basketball with down at the village park decades ago he reminded me that I brought with me a basketball in the colors used by the then-renegade American Basketball Association. The ABA ball was red, white, and blue, and the other fellows at the court were willing to use it, realizing it was more visible for me. Before this review of an autobiography morphs into an autobiography of the reviewer, let me finally assert this is a very readable work, likely to present a sound gain for anyone with a sight loss. Surpassing Expectations is available on a digital cartridge from any talking book library as DB 68883. Affiliate News Nebraska Convention The ACB of Nebraska Convention will be held April 20th to 22nd at the Clarion Wilderness Lodge in Fremont. Room rates are $69 per night plus tax. To receive the convention rate, you must make your reservation by March 30th. Call 1-800-734-7666 outside of Omaha and Fremont. In Omaha and Fremont, call 402-727-1110. Be sure to mention ACBN to receive the convention rate. Tentative speakers include Tessa Wright, who coordinates the program in visual impairment at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, and Julie Johnson, chairman of the Nebraska Commission for the Blind and Visually Impaired's Board, for more information, call the ACB of Nebraska at 1-888-218-8061 or 402-441-9566 or visit www.acb.org n-e-b-r-a-s-k-a. Passings We honor here members, friends, and supporters of the American Council of the Blind who have impacted our lives in many wonderful ways. If you would like to submit a notice for this column, please include as much of the following information as possible. Name First, Last, Maiden if appropriate City of Residence, upon passing State, Province of Residence, upon passing Other Cities, States, Countries of Residence Places where other blind people may have known this person. Occupation Date of death Day if known, month, year. Age ACB affiliation Local, state, special interest affiliates, or national committees. Deaths that occurred more than six months ago cannot be reported in this column. Clarice R. Arnold Clarice R. Arnold, 85, of Cumberland and Baltimore, Maryland. Passed away peacefully on December 29, 2011, at Gilcrest Hospice in Baltimore. Born February 22, 1926, in Baltimore, she was the daughter of the late Sarah Louise Eccleston Roth and William A. Roth, Sr. She was preceded in death by her beloved husband, Hugh M. Arnold, Sr., her brother, William A. Roth, Jr., and her sister, Florence Tiny Barron. Clarice is survived by her daughter, Susan Arnold of Baltimore. Her son Hugh Jr. of Cumberland and Baltimore, her brother A. Evans Roth of Baltimore, a sister in law, Mary Lou Arnold of Rockville, as well as numerous nieces and nephews. Clarice had been retired from the Social Security Administration and MedStar Health for several years. She enjoyed over 70 years associated with the Maryland School for the Blind as a student, alumnus, and volunteer. She had been active in the Baltimore Blind Bowlers and the American Council of the Blind since their formation in the 1960s. A memorial service was held January 21st at the Maryland School for the Blind. In lieu of flowers, the family requests that contributions in Clarice's name be sent to either the Maryland School for the Blind at 3501 Taylor Avenue, Baltimore, Maryland, 21236, or Gilcrest Hospice, 11311 McCormick Road, Suite 350, HUNT VALLEY, MARYLAND, 21031 ROBERT DAWSON REPRINTED FROM THE WICHITA EAGLE DECEMBER 22, 2011 ROBERT BOB DAWSON, 87, U.S. MARINE Corps, RETIRED, OPERATOR OF THE CONCESSION STAND AT SOUTHWESTERN BELL, PASSED AWAY DECEMBER 20, 2011. HIS SERVICE WAS HELD DECEMBER 23, 2011, AT COMMUNITY OF CHRIST CHURCH. Robert was preceded in death by his wife of 40 years, Marie Dawson, and a son, John Worthen. Survivors Sons Bruce Dawson of Liberty, Missouri Mark Dawson of Colorado Springs, Colorado Greg Dawson of Chicago, Illinois Kip Dawson of Wichita James Worthen of Wichita Tim Worthen of Portland, Oregon Mark Worthen of Oklahoma Dave Worthen of Wichita Sister Dorothy Pond of Andover 17 grandchildren, and 26 great-grandchildren. Lynn Dwight Hansen Reprinted from the Bismarck Tribune, November 27, 2011 Lynn Dwight Hansen, 58, died November 21, 2011 after complications originating from a pituitary tumor removed in 2001. Lynn was born on October 25, 1953, in Dickinson, North Dakota, to Melvin and Evelyn Hansen. Lynn attended school in Bismarck, graduating from Bismarck High School in 1971. Lynn was born with a love for the outdoors. After attending the School of Forestry in Bottineau, North Dakota, he moved to Kodiak, Alaska, and worked in a cannery. In 1981, Lynn returned to Bismarck and opened Rough Rider Hardwoods, a custom woodworking and exotic hardwood shop. In 1984, Lynn sold his portion of the business. Lynn loved Montana and moved back to Bozeman to finish up his Fisheries and Wildlife Management degree. Lynn worked in Pierre, South Dakota for the Fisheries and Wildlife Services, FWS, then moved to Vero Beach, Florida, and worked for Sweeney Hardwoods. Around the mid-90s, Lynn was determined to obtain his master's and moved back to Bozeman, Montana. There, his research and focus was on the pallid sturgeon. In 1998, Lynn landed a temporary job as a fisheries biologist in Leavenworth, Washington. His life suddenly changed. Lynn became totally blind after being diagnosed with a pituitary tumor and ultimately Addison's disease. In July of 2000, Lynn signed up at the VA Heinz Rehabilitation Center for the Blind in Chicago, Illinois. Lynn found a grant position for the disabled and once again achieved his desire to work for the FWS in Pierre. Lynn attended Community Bible Church in Pierre, which became the cornerstone of his life. In 2006, Lynn traveled to New York, where he trained with his new friend and guide dog, Portia, a rambunctious, loving yellow lab. Lynn began to cane several baskets and stands and had his friend John at Rough Rider Hardwoods cut oak legs and dowels for him. In April 2011, Lynn became ill. Blessed to have shared his life are his mother, Evelyn Hansen, Bismarck, three brothers, Gregory Hansen, Debbie, Bismarck, Brian Hansen, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, Mark Hansen, Jennifer, Georgetown, Tennessee, two sisters, Diane Catermus, Kurt, and Valerie Hansen, both from Bismarck, along with eight nieces and nephews and four great nieces and great nephews. Lynn is preceded in death by his father, Melvin Hansen, two uncles, Marvin and Harold Hansen, and two infant nephews. Special thanks to Lynn's dear loving friend, Dick Veal who also unfortunately lost his eyesight and who Lynn could count on to get him through computer troubleshooting, cutting massive numbers of wood legs and dowels for caning projects. Tim and Meredith, who were with Lynn years ago in Alaska and the Coast Guard, as well as the numerous times they spent with Lynn in Minneapolis hospitals, reading the Bible and comforting and cheering him up. First Free Evangelical Church, where Lynn was baptized. Pastor Harvey Fries and the Community Bible Church in Pierre, South Dakota, so highly spoken of by Lynn. No memorials please. Instead, please take someone you know who can't do it alone fishing, hunting, out to eat, or shovel their driveway or buy them some flowers. To share memories of Lynn or sign the guest book, go to <laughs> http://www.eastgatefuneral.com/underscore <laughs> <laughs> MGXROOT slash PAGE underscore one zero seven eight zero dot PHP question mark TASK equal sign ALL. Letter to the Editor The contents of this column reflect the letters we had received by the time we went to press January sixth, two thousand twelve. Letters are limited to 300 words or fewer. All submissions must include the author's name and location. Opinions expressed are those of the author's. End of Side 2 Side 3 The Braille Forum Volume 50 February 2012 Number 6 This side contains Here and There Edited by Sue Lichtenfels High Tech Swap Shop Continuing with Letter to the Editor Thank you. Thanks for a couple of what I think are the best articles I've read in a while. The one about pedestrian safety that was in the December issue, and the one in the January issue written by Elisa Bush about giving out her Social Security information. As to pedestrian safety, regrettably it won't help dumb drivers. I am a high partial. The only usable vision I have is good, but it's only in one eye and is tunnel vision also i wear hearing aids for a moderate to moderately severe hearing loss which is an added disadvantage i was downtown one day and usually cross a street with the light which i was doing but some fool ran the red light i didn't get hit but it was close i have been unable to attend but one national convention jacksonville florida a few years ago Last June, I got to attend my first National Convention of the Hearing Loss Association of America, which was held in Arlington, Virginia. I rode Amtrak from Birmingham, Alabama to Washington, D.C. And for the first time, I also rode the Metro to the stop nearest the hotel, though I did have to ask for help because of my sight. It was scary, but I think I could do it again if necessary. Netta Jean Kirkpatrick, Birmingham, Alabama Here and There Edited by Sue Lichtenfels The announcement of products and services in this column does not represent an endorsement by the American Council of the Blind, its officers, or staff. Listings are free of charge for the benefit of our readers. The Braille Forum cannot be held responsible for the reliability of the products and services mentioned. To submit items for this column, send a message to info at acb.org or phone the National Office at one 800 Four two four eight six six six, and leave a message in Sharon Lovering's mailbox. Information must be received at least two months ahead of publication date. Low Vision Conference. Envision Conference 2012 is a multidisciplinary low vision rehabilitation and research conference. It will take place September 12th to 15th, 2012, at the Hilton St. Louis at the Ballpark. The conference will feature clinical education workshops, and research presentations by experts in low vision rehabilitation and education from around the world. Registration is now open. The regular registration fee includes access to all sessions, lectures, exhibits, plenary sessions, continental breakfasts each morning, coffee breaks throughout the day, luncheon, and welcome reception. Submissions are also being accepted for presentations focused on clinical education or research. Submit presentation proposals online at www.envisionconference.com by March 19th. AFB Scholarships Applications are now available for the American Foundation for the Blind's Annual Scholarship Program. There are seven scholarships available for up to 11 recipients. Applicants must be legally blind and pursuing post-secondary education. The online application is posted at www.afb.org slash dot a-s-p. The deadline for applications is April 30th. For more information, contact AFB's Information Center at 1-800-232-5463 or send a message to afbinfo at afb.net. Service Dog Eye Exams For the fifth year, the American College of Veterinary Ophthalmologists will sponsor National Service Dog Eye Exam Month throughout May 2012. More than 200 board-certified veterinary ophthalmologists in the U.S., Puerto Rico, and Canada will provide free eye exams to thousands of dog guides, assistance dogs, detection dogs, and search and rescue dogs. To be eligible, the dogs must either be certified active working dogs or dogs in training. In order to participate, dogs must be registered online at www.acvoeyeexam.org by April 30th. Once registered, you can access the list of participating veterinary ophthalmologists to schedule an exam on a first-come, first-served basis. Camp Siloam 2012. Camp Siloam 2012 will be held May 19th to 26th at the Golden Cross Ranch located north of Houston, Texas. This year's theme is We Are More Than Conquerors. The week will include morning and evening worship services, swimming, horseback riding, hayrides, horseshoe pitching, talent nights, great conversation, film screenings, and more. Individuals who are between ages 17 to 69 and in good health are invited to attend. The cost for the week is $220 for repeat campers and $0 for first-time participants. Assistance with finding sponsors to help with the cost of the registration or transportation may be available. To receive the full camp registration packet, mail a $25 non-refundable registration deposit to The Gospel Association for the Blind, P.O. Box 1162, Bonnell, Florida, 32110 along with a 3x5 card that includes your name, address, phone numbers, and email. Each new participant should also send a recent photo of him or herself. For additional registration details, call 386-586-5885. For updates on the CAMP program, check the recorded message at 1-866-251-5165 and enter mailbox 7128-pound sign. Camp registration closes April 16th. News from BANA At its fall meeting in November, the Braille Authority of North America, BANA, elected new officers, welcomed a new member agency, and approved a new set of standards for transcribing print into Braille. New officers are Chair Francis Mary DeAndrea, AFB, Vice Chair Mary Nell McLennan, APH, Secretary Jennifer Dunham, NFB Treasurer Sue Riley, CTEBVI The Board approved the membership application of Horizons for the Blind to become BANA's newest member agency. Additionally, the Board adopted a new set of transcription guidelines Braille Formats Principles of Print to Braille Transcription 2011. This document is available on the BANA website. The banner Spring Meeting will take place at the National Braille Association's Conference in St. Louis the weekend of April 28th to 30th, 2012. Additional information and resources are available at www.brailleauthority.org. Summer Braille Music Institute the National Resource Center for Blind Musicians will hold its 2012 seminar for blind college bound musicians January 15th to 21st at the Overbrook School for the Blind in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. The seminar tailors instruction to each person's need to develop braille music and theory skills and to learn to use technology to submit music assignments in print notation. Applications are currently being accepted from serious braille reading music students preparing for or already in college. Applicants must have already studied some music theory, have had several years of music lessons, and be able to present a polished and pleasing performance. They must be willing to put effort into Braille music study and demonstrate a commitment to use the Braille music and computer notating skills they will learn at the Institute when they return to school. Applicants must also show they have begun thinking realistically about reachable goals, and that they have the independent skills, social readiness, and maturity to be a contributing part of a close-knit group. All application materials are due by May 2nd. To obtain an application and audition details, visit www.blindmusicstudent.org. Call 203-366-3300, extension 229, or email info at S-T-U-D-E-N-T dot org. Save the Date The International Association of Audio Information Services, I-A-A-I-S, conference will take place May 17th to 19th, 2012 at the Westin Galleria in Houston, Texas. For information on exhibitor or sponsorship opportunities, contact Lori Kessinger at 1-800-280-5325 or via email at LRK at KU.edu. Registration information can be found at www.iaais.org. HD Magnifiers The Hims Lifestyle HD Magnifiers offer enlargement in high definition. According to Hims, the high definition feature makes text crisper and color contrasts sharper. Models are available with either 19-inch or 22-inch widescreen LCD monitors. They can magnify from 2X to 84X. For more information about the company's full line of products, call 1-888-520-4467 or visit www.hims-inc.com. Access to Movies in Arizona Arizonians with sensory impairments have reason to celebrate the recent judgment by U.S. District Judge Rosalind Silver. She signed a decree ordering Harkins Theaters to install assistive technology at all but nine of its movie screens in the state. The judgment settled the 2006 discrimination lawsuit filed on behalf of the estimated 700,000 Arizonians who are either hearing impaired or visually impaired. Stories Needed Rita Kirsch is collecting stories for a new book that emphasizes the importance of laughter and humor when coping with vision loss. If you have any humorous or embarrassing stories that were the direct result of your vision impairment, she would love to hear from you. Send stories by email to h o o s i e r r i t a at c o m c a s t dot net or in braille, audio, or typewritten to Rita Kirsch. 1820 G Street, Bedford, Indiana, 47421. Also include your first name, current vision level, and reason for vision impairment. Stories will be included on a space-available basis. Rita has recently had another book published, Pathway to Independence, a guide for people with vision loss. This is a practical guide for people with varying levels of vision loss who strive to be more independent. It is available in large print and ebook at b-a-r-n-e-s-n-o-b-l-e dot com, a-m-a-z-o-n dot com, and x-l-i-b-r-i-s dot com. Rita also has large print copies available. Contact her by email or write her at the address above. Braille, CD, and other formats will be available in the next few months. Disability Answers App The Advocator Group is a nationwide advocacy organization that helps people apply for and obtain Social Security Disability Insurance, SSDI. The group offers a free mobile app available for both iPhone and Android cell phone users, which helps potential applicants determine whether they should apply for SSDI or Medicare benefits. Disability Answers, trademark, first asks the user for data such as their age, citizenship, diagnosis, and work history. It then compares this data with that of more than 60,000 applications filed by current SSDI and Medicare claimants to determine the likelihood of being approved. Learn more about this app at https com. Medical Alert Cards. MyInfo 911 provides emergency identification cards that use QR, quick response codes, to provide pertinent medical history information to first responders and other medical providers. The cards have the person's picture, name, and QR code on the front, and the person's name, year of birth, emergency contact, blood type, allergies, and specific medical conditions on the back. By using a cell phone or PDA with Internet access, the first responders can input the QR code into the MyInfo911 website to access the patient's complete medical history. For more information, visit www.myinfo911.com. Resources for Planning Your Future Mississippi State University's Rehabilitation Research and Training Center on Blindness and Low Vision has released two new web resources, From School to College, A Transition Activity Calendar for Students Who Are Blind or Visually Impaired, 2nd Edition, 2011, is a web-based calendar of transition activities that helps students in middle school to begin outlining the steps necessary to reach and thrive in college. Through the monthly suggested activities, students learn when to apply for college, take entrance exams, and visit campuses as well as how to acquire accessible textbooks, explore careers, obtain assistive technology, etc., The calendar also includes links to vital resources. This resource is available at www.blind.msstate.edu slash t-r-a-n-s-i-t-i-o-n. Career Advantage for VIPs is an eight-module outline employment program. Each self-paced module includes instructional materials and activities to guide job seekers through the step-by-step process of preparing for and finding employment. This free online resource can be accessed at www.blind.msstate.edu slash A-D-V-A-N-T-A-G-E. DAISY APP Darwin Reader for Android is a new product from New Designs LLC. This app allows Android platform smartphones to read all formats of DAISY Digital Talking Books. The app also works in conjunction with Bookshare offerings. A free trial version is available for download. Additional information about this product can be found at www.darwinreader.com. Tutoring Resource Portal Tutoring offers assistance for people who are blind or visually impaired who want to learn about using the Internet for shopping, employment, education, and leisure, reading and writing Braille, utilizing adaptive equipment such as digital book players, and more. For more information about Portal Tutoring and its courses, visit www.portaltutoring.info, or call Ann Parsons at 585 585- 244-0477 Seeking Migraine Sufferers Do you suffer from migraines with piercing pain? Do they last for hours? Ohosian has developed her own home remedy that gets her up and out in 40 minutes, 95% of the time. If you would like to try it, she'll give you tips from her book in exchange for a 25-50 to 50 word statement of your results. Contact her at 415-846-2027, and leave your name and telephone number. Please speak slowly and clearly. High Tech Swap Shop For Sale Simple Digital Voice Recorder. Only has two functions record and play. Willing to give it away, but asking $10 for shipping and a coffee for the driver to take it to the post office. Old style Perkins Braille Writer, still in its original packaging, asking $500. Includes shipping and insurance. Payment plan is negotiable. For more information on either of these items, email nino pacini, n-i-n-o-p-a-c-i-n-i at gmail.com or call 313-885-7330. For Sale Brand New Braille Writer Asking $450 Talking Calculator with Large Screen $200 Contact Rosemere at 714-865-5555. For Sale Kurzweil 1000 Version 11 Asking $870 or Best Offer Shipping Included to USA Addresses JAWS for Windows Professional Version 13 Asking $995 or Best Offer Include Shipping to USA Address Olympus DS50 Digital MP3 Recorder Player with Earbuds, Mic, and CD with Talking Menus Asking $130 Include shipping to USA address Contact Laura Ann at 979-680-0022 or by email agapetouchmassage at gmail.com For Sale Brand new Toshiba laptop with 15.6-inch widescreen, 4 gigs RAM, 320-gig hard drive, Windows 7 Home Premium, JAWS, and Office. Asking $750. Desktop computer with 2,000-gig hard drive, 4 gigs RAM, Windows 7 Home Premium, JAWS, and Office. Asking $750. USB Internet Radio. Asking $30. Call Jose at 818-220-6256. For Sale VIP1000 Talking Thermostat 5 years old, in working condition. See www.talkingthermostats.com for details about this model. Asking $60. Contact Alan at a s. T-U-T-T-S at M-I-N-D-S-P-R-I-N-G com or call 919-843-4133. For Sale PacMate Omni BX400 with Software and Carrying Cases Asking $1,500 Braille Plus with Disc and Carrying Case Asking $425 Trekker Breeze with Microphone, Case, and Software Asking three hundred dollars, Victor Reader, asking two hundred dollars, Braille Light two thousand with case and manuals grouped with Braille and Speak, asking one hundred fifty dollars. We'll accept PayPal, money orders, or cashier's checks. Contact Vicky via email, V I C K Y U N D E R H I L L at s b c g l o b a l dot net, or 817 320 For Sale KNFB Reader with Talk Software and GPS Software Nokia 82 Cell Phone Asking $2,000 or Best Offer Dell Laptop with Assistive and Regular Technology and a Charger Price Negotiable Contact MULTI TOPIC RESO O u r c i n g at aol.com. For sale, Zoom Text 10, brand new, never been used, still in original packaging with all manuals included. Asking $750 or best offer. If interested, email Dan Palmadessa at d a n dot p a l m a d e s s a at gmail.com. Will accept check or money order. Item will be shipped free matter for the blind unless purchaser wants to pay for shipping. Wanted. Gently used Braille note M Power or Apex. Looking for one for a student. Contact Marcia Bork via email mlbork at cox.net. ACB Officers. President. Mitch Pomerantz. Final term. 2013. 1115 Cordova Street, Number 402, Pasadena, California, 91106. 1st Vice President Kim Charlson, Final Term, 2013. 57 Grandview Avenue, Watertown, Massachusetts, 02472. 2nd Vice President Brenda Dillon, Final Term, 2013. 313 Overridge Cove, Hermitage, Tennessee, 37076 Secretary Marlena Lieberg, Final Term, 2013 632 South 189th Street, Burie in Washington, 98148 Treasurer Carla Rushevel, First Term, 2013 148 Vernon Avenue, Louisville, Kentucky, 40206 Immediate Past President Christopher Gray Final Term, 2013 94 Ramona Avenue San Francisco, California 94103 ACB Board of Directors Ray Campbell Glen Ellen, Illinois Final Term, 2014 Burl Colley Lacey, Washington First Term, 2012 Janet Dickelman St. Paul, Minnesota First Term, 2014 Marsha Farrow, Somerville, Georgia First Term, 2012 Michael Garrett, Missouri City, Texas First Term, 2012 George Holiday, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania First Term, 2014 Billy Jean Keith, Arlington, Virginia Final Term, 2012 Alan Peterson, Horace, North Dakota First Term, 2014 Jeff Tom, Sacramento, California Final Term, 2014 David Trot, Talladega, Alabama Final Term, 2012 Ex Officio Judy Jackson, Austin, Texas ACB Board of Publications Paul Edwards, Chairman, Miami, Florida Final Term, 2013 Nolan Crabb, Hilliard, Ohio First term, 2014. Marcia Dresser, Reading, Massachusetts. Second term, 2012. Judy Jackson, Austin, Texas. Second term, 2012. Ken Stewart, Warwick, New York. Final term, 2012. Ex-officios, Ron Milliman, Bowling Green, Kentucky. Bob Hache, Waltham, Massachusetts. End of Side 3